have all of you here, and I appreciate all of you being in the house of the Lord. I know we are uh, seemingly in a course right now, a very busy time of the year, given the fact of graduations and ceremonies, and I know there's a graduation ceremony this evening, and a lot going on in our families and home, and I, uh, I appreciate all of you being here. Good to have all of our visitors and guests. And I, I, I started uh, a lesson, or I actually I tried to hurry my way through it on Wednesday night, and I, I spent a, a lot of time kind of um, <coughs> trying to paint a, a picture of some of the events that happened, uh, specifically with um, the deliverance of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And I, where part of that um, <coughs> sort of came into being with studying in the Old Testament for our Monday night class over Melchizedek and, and uh, the priesthood and that first priest of uh, Salem or uh, Jebus as it was later, later called and then of course Abraham being there and then Isaac and Jacob and then of course the children of Israel migrate to Egypt and then now in Exodus, they're on their way out. And I entitled it uh, Deliverance or Let My People Go. And I, I started trying to start at Exodus, the fifth chapter, and so I'm going to go in a hurry because I know uh, the, it's online and then there are those that were here, and so I don't want to overwhelm you with um, <coughs> repeating this, although the story bears repeating that the time that, uh, and this is a picture, uh, obviously a, a depiction of, say, Moses and Pharaoh, although you would really have to imagine that Moses was about 80 years old in this photo, or not, it's not a photo, or in this depiction, because he uh, actually was on the backside of the desert for, for 40 years after having left Egypt at the age of 40, and the word of the Lord came to him, and it was uh, in a burning bush with a promise of deliverance, and basically uh, goes through this dialogue with Moses and starting in Exodus, the third chapter, and I read these verses on Wednesday night, that, you know, he had, of course, left Egypt and... Um, uh, there's this whole sense of Moses is <clears throat> given a promise. This bush speaks to him, a promise of deliverance. And those of you that are Bible scholars know uh, <clears throat> how uh, unusual that was for Moses to go. And he went and observed it. And yet, uh, then take your, your staff or the rod that's in your hand, throw it down. It becomes a serpent put his hand in his uh, robe and it became leprous. And so you have this sense that Moses uh, spends a great deal of time. And I actually 
Wednesday night went through some of the dialogue, which is overwhelming. He gives one excuse after another. He makes one reason after another why he can't go to Egypt, why there are real issues in him going there. The people, you know, they're want, I'm wanted for murder, and and he goes through all of this uh, talk, and then finally he says, "Well, let me ask my father-in-law, which um, I have uh, two sons-in-law, David, and I can imagine, you know." that if uh, one of them said, I'm wanted for murder in uh, Egypt and I want to go there and, and it was a several days journey, I would probably be like, absolutely not. You're not going to go and take my wife and my grandkids. And so you make sure you tell him that whenever he comes back Wednesday night if he didn't listen to this. But uh, the point is, well, I don't think he's wanted for murder in Australia, but... Um, the issue is that, you know, uh, Jethro ironically says, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you go? And um, so uh, there's this whole dialogue. And, and what I tried to explain Wednesday night is there is a process of deliverance. There's a process of deliverance. There's a process of getting prayers answered, even in that Regard, And I don't like the process very often because this whole process began and you see the, the running uh, dialogue and the running account of it. But most folks don't like the process of deliverance. I want deliverance quickly. I want to be able to go, boom, I'm delivered. I want to be able to do it like a video game that, here, restart, new life. I want to go, bing, and it's over. But that's not the way it works in real life. You say, well, I, I feel like I want it instantaneously. And you know, we can try to argue, we can use our logic, we can explain why, we can try to explain that I wasn't raised that way, this is, doesn't apply to me, if I would have had it, we, we, you know, and yet we want, you know, I, I want someone to go through the process with me, and I understand the buddy system, and I understand our society, even AA or whatever, NA, they work with a, you know, get a buddy, get a mentor, get a sponsor, get somebody to go with you through the process, but sometimes the only person that can walk with you is the Lord, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, unfortunately, I have talked to people that want deliverance on their conditions. If you'll tell me exactly what's going to happen, if you'll let me know what's going to take place, how long will I do this and how long will I do that, how long will this happen, and exactly because then it's okay and I'm all right with it and I will join and go through the process. And then especially if people have tried and failed. And guess what? Moses had tried and failed. He tried to demand a deliverance. He tried to force it. Remember? This was the guy that knew his destiny, knew his calling. His calling, he believed, at the young age of 
30 and 40 was to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he hit a brick wall. And the children of Israel rejected him and they went through all of the, and yet the Lord needed to send him to the wilderness for 40 years. Some scholars even said he was, what they didn't realize is he was finding places for the children of Israel to camp because of where he was leading his sheep. I don't know if the Lord needed that or if it was working on Moses, if it was trying to show him how to be a shepherd. But whatever the case is, the Lord understood and now was the time and Moses tried to logic his way out of it. And that's how unfortunately sometimes we get when we are faced with this sense of the Lord is wanting to bring about deliverance, bring about being set free. And then I went to, of course, uh, Exodus, the fifth chapter, which was part of this. The, you could read it for yourself. And ba basically, in the first verse, when he talks to Pharaoh, he says it like this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Egypt, Let my people go, comma, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And I mentioned Wednesday night, deliverance is not for you to just do what you want. Deliverance comes to serve God. If you want God to be on your side through the deliverance, then it's the ultimate goal of the Lord is to have you serve him. You say, well, I want the doctor to deliver me. Then okay, fine. Leave God out of it. But you're going to serve a doctor. And I'm not against serving a doctor. You know, some of us have a regular checkup, go to a doctor. But <laughs> I won't tell you. Sometimes I've often wondered, I wonder if a new car payments do when he's ordered this extra test. Maybe not you've never had that thought. But I'm just being candid, okay? Because I know they're human. If you want whatever you want to get you out, you got to serve. And we all serve somebody sometime, somewhere, huh? Amen. And so Whenever this was, he was not just being deliverance for the sake of now he's going to do. And of course, Pharaoh responded by saying, who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to talk to the Lord. And I read that Wednesday night and I realized that, you know, Pharaoh basically refused to acknowledge God or Joseph's people. And, and Joseph, these, these people that came that Moses was a part of were sojourners. They came whenever Joseph got the land of Goshen for them and Joseph made a way for them to stay. And in Genesis, the 47th chapter, they said, we're going to go sojourn, sojourn in Egypt for a while. It was a temporary. These weren't conquered people. This wasn't, Pharaoh went up, found a bunch of Hebrews, circled the wagons, conquered them, 
brought them down to slavery, but they were using them as slaves. And what's amazing is now one man had stood before Pharaoh 400 plus years before and said, let me tell you about your dream and had gone through the dream process and you all know the story said you're going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and you better get ready for the seven years of famine because it's going to be horrible. And Pharaoh at that time said, you're the vice president. You, I'm going to give you a wife. You're going to, you have full charge over everything. And Joseph became the second most important man in all of Egypt. And now, 400 and something years later, the current Pharaoh has no idea who Joseph was. He was either a horrible student of his own history or he selfishly just wanted the Hebrews as cheap labor. And at some point, they had been switched into now making bricks for Pharaoh. Now here comes a two-man army with four promises, one staff, and a word from God saying, let my people go. Pharaoh is incensed. How could you demand from me to let my people, your people, go. And immediately, Pharaoh believed and wrongly accused Moses and Aaron of trying to get the children of Israel out of work. In other words, he questioned the motive of Moses standing there wanting freedom. And it's amazing that when you are trying to get deliverance, serve the Lord, how many people will question your motive? And they will believe, well, there's something about it. You, why are you doing this? And what Pharaoh could not grasp was this was a matter of worship and total deliverance. And at repeatedly the Lord when speaking to Pharaoh, would say, these are mine. You have your firstborn. These are mine. These are mine. Now, what you have to recognize from that, and I put here on this slide, God wants to become your owner. And I know, we all know that. We're here. But it, this is not just another social club. It's not another place where you come once a week and you pay your dues and you're part of the whatever, whatever club. That's not what it means. The Lord wants you to serve him and to worship him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are just here as a training place on how to connect 
and understand and get in a better relationship with Almighty God. It is not about, oh, this is the door. This is the only place. This is the place where I learn how to connect to him. The Lord will deliver you if you will let him take ownership of you. He will set you free. He, you say, I don't understand. Why? Because he wants us to acknowledge him. Now, I understand. Some people will question your motives. Why do you need to belong to him? I don't think you need to belong. Because let me explain again to you that you will belong to something, even if it's your own selfishness. You will think you're free when you're not free. You will believe, well, I, I do what I want. Don't go there. That's not true. You're bound by all kinds of things. You say, well, but I, I don't want to belong to him. That was what this whole process of deliverance was about, was are you going to serve God or are you going to serve somewhere else. Now, I understand that when you make up your mind, I want to serve the Lord. I really want to center my life around the Word of God. I want to be in a relationship with God. I want to live my life for God, with God. I, that, this is going to be my roadmap. This is going to be my guide. When you really decide that, sometimes it gets harder before it gets easier. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. <laughs> Remember? They go, okay. Moses goes in, pulls out his hand, leprous, throws down a stick, snake, and he says, let's go. We're going to Pharaoh. And, Pharaoh, and they, all, they all, the elders get together and they go to Pharaoh and they go, okay, let us go. We're going. And you all are Bible scholars. You know the story. And I went into it and overwhelming detail Wednesday night. But uh, what was it? It was that now they must be lazy. We're going to make them get their own straw for their bricks. And yet the Lord was trying to, his first step was basically getting them to operate like a conqueror much less a more than conqueror. You see, sometimes when the enemy, when we go through something, it is the Lord's way of trying to remind us again, if you'll stick with me, we can get this. You are supposed to be a more than conqueror through him that loved us. So, when you say, I don't think I can do it, I, it's gotten harder. You know what? What all of that is, is to remind you, I can't do it on my own, but I have a new owner. And my owner says, greater is he that is. <laughs> and so the harder it gets, the more he's wanting you to turn to him.
and say, Lord, I need you. And so all of a sudden it becomes every morning I get up and pray, Lord, I need you today. Lord, I need you to guide me today. Lord, I need to open your word today. Oh, now you're just being a fanatic. Yes, because I've joined a new relationship. I am now part of the bride of Christ. And now I don't just talk to myself, but I'm talking to my bridegroom. And we know what happened, and I mentioned it Wednesday, Pharaoh, I just mentioned it, they got harder and they made them go get straw, and they went through the whole more straw and more straw and more stuff, and you read this fifth chapter, and there finally, as they reach the end, the officers of the children, verse 14, of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, they beat them and they demanded and said, wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as hither to four? In other words, what they were saying is, you have gotten worse and it's your fault. And they knew they had made the situation impossible. You cannot make the same number of bricks without supplies when you're having to go get supplies to make the bricks. So they set up an impossible task and then they mocked them for not being able to do it. And it was demoralizing. It was overwhelming when someone looks at you and makes fun of you, but you've got to recognize this is the tactic of the enemy. They, when you start making a move to change or toward God, somebody, the enemy will put somebody in your path to demoralize you, to overwhelm you, to talk about, well, oh yeah, well now you're such, you're such, you're so delivered. Oh, you prayed last night. Oh yeah, now, now you're gonna have, now you have something instant. Now, why don't you walk on water out there for me? Anything to overwhelm you because the devil knows that when you're emotionally overwhelmed, you become without strength. When you are emotionally saturated, when it has wrung you out, maybe you've never been that way. Maybe you've never experienced what that is like to feel like you've been pounded and pounded and pounded and pounded and now something is said or done that demoralizes you and now you're pounded some more. And yet what you have to realize is that's why the Bible says repeatedly, and I could go through all of the verses, but it says the joy of the So when I have committed my life to him and I am asking him to lead my life and I am asking him 
to guide me. And I'm asking him to deliver me. And I'm asking him to get me out. Then I need to remember that I need to keep worshiping him. It's not about what I'm going through now. It's about who he is. It's about how great he is. You say, but it's gotten worse. You know what? He's still God. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's still God. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's still God. You know, like the old story, the joke about the preacher that was talking about the, you know, the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea. And somebody said, yes, preacher, but that was just a very shallow spot and the wind blew and it was only two inches deep there. And they walked across on dry ground, but it wasn't a real miracle. The guy took off shouting and running. And And the guy said, Preacher, what are you running for? What are you shouting for? He said, it's a greater miracle that the Lord would drown all of Pharaoh and his army in two inches of water. What are you saying? What I'm saying is God's still good. God's still great. God's still powerful. That's why David would say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, serve, notice, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. He hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Whenever I've fully committed my life to him, My job from then on is to be a worshiper and a praiser and a magnifier and to give him glory. You say, well, does that mean that I have to go feed the poor twice a week? You know what? All of that is secondary to what your first calling is. And that is, he hath called me out of darkness into this marvelous light that I might Show forth the praises. What are you talking about? You know, David continues and he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, for the Lord is, and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures. You know, the story of Job. How many know the story of Job? What was it that the Lord used Job's own wife to try to tell him, Job, just simply curse God and die. Why is this such an important aspect of my deliverance? Is because you cannot rejoice without being thankful. And you cannot be thankful unless you truly believe that somehow everything is working for my good. And that somehow this is going to all work out somehow. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't, but it's gotten worse. Yes, but 
that just means God's going to show up bigger. I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is that God is still good. He is good all the time. I have nothing but praise in my heart for it. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed. I know he is able. That's why Simon Peter would say, even though I'm in heaviness through manifold temptation, that I'm being tried like gold in the fire, but I'm going to be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even though I haven't seen him, I love him. You know why? Because somehow my soul's salvation and my deliverance depends on me continuing to believe and rejoice. And if you're wanting to get delivered from this world, you're going to have to have the faith to keep rejoicing and believing. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens. Because what does the Bible say? When he returns, will he find faith? Is there somebody there who is still believing in deliverance? Is there somebody there who is still believing that God is able? And when you continue reading in this fifth chapter, you realize that they tried to logic their way with the servants. They tried to say, look, you've done this. It's tough. We can't. How can we? And he, they call it the tail of bricks. How can we keep making the same number of bricks when you're not given a straw? I want to tell you, you cannot logic your way out of, out of a spiritual issue and deliverance that you need. You can try to. You can say, and I've, I've dealt with people and they tell me, well, but you know, this came because of what happened to me when I was six. And I understand it. there can be issues when you're six eight and 10, 12, 15. But let me tell you, God's still able to deliver. Yeah. Sorry, I understand. It may have started very young, but guess what? I still know a God that is still bigger than all that's got you bound. But you don't understand. I'm fifth generation of angry people. Guess what? You can be a new creature Oh, but you don't, you don't get it, Pastor. You don't get it. I, I, you can, I, and I, you know, I've had people try all kinds of therapy. They want to try to remember every issue, and this is where I got stuck, and that's where I got stuck. And if you're trying to figure out where you got stuck, bless your heart, I hope you figure it out. What I can tell you is, I know a God that can unstick you <laughs> if you will serve him, if you will rejoice in him, if you will love him. You say, but this has gone on for 400 years. I understand, but I'm here to tell you there's not, you cannot fight a spiritual battle without getting your emotions. And so when the children of Israel started all of this and they tried to say, we're not bad, and you know, the Lord look on 
you and us. I want to tell you something. Then they turned on Moses and Aaron and they got mad at them. And most of us, at some point, when it's not going our way, we get mad at God or people that, you told me I'd be delivered. Now look at me. I'm worse now than I've ever been. All I can tell you is, I still believe God. I still have faith in God. What are you saying? Are you saying that I can, the Lord is able to work through this? I want to tell you. And, and then, unfortunately, Moses even crossed the line and accused God of doing evil. And I, I talked about this Wednesday night, and, and he got himself all been out of shape saying, you know what, God, you're, you've not, you have done evil because I spoke your name and, and I told them who you were, that you were the I am, and now you've come and, and it's made it rougher on them and tougher. And then that's when God finally in the Exodus, the sixth chapter, responds to Moses. It reminds me so much of when how the Lord listened to Job for 38 chapters explaining why he was going through and how he didn't deserve it. And you remember what happened? Chapter 39. God said, Job, sit down. Shut up. Listen to me. Why? You have no business talking to me. I am God. And he goes on for 39, 40, and 41. And Job says, oh. I repent, falls down like dead, cover my mouth. Who am I to say anything to God? By virtue of the fact that he is God, I don't have the privilege of standing in his courtroom. What are you saying? You say, what are you, what are you saying? Well, what, what I'm trying to show you is I, it's all right to question God. It's all right to say, I don't understand why. It's all right to say, I don't understand what I'm going through. It's all right to say, Lord, have you forgotten about me? But whatever you do, don't cross the line like Moses and say, God, you're not good. God, you're evil. God, you've done wrong. Why? Because I want to tell you that is just not the nature of God. He is good all the time. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. No one gets by him. And God says, oh my, I didn't realize the Republicans were going to do that or the Democrats were going to do that or that Putin was going to do that. I had no idea Zelensky. God knows everything and he sets up kingdoms and pulls them down because he is God. You see, Moses and the Lord told Moses some very amazing things about the patriarchs because he said, you remember I made my covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and I told them that my name was God Almighty and I've given you a better description of my name. Why 
H or V, not V H W H, the sort of the breath sound of breathing. We call it Jehovah Yahweh. And he goes through and he explains to Moses, Moses, <clears throat> you, you question, you, you can question my why. You can stand in the gap for somebody else, but never question that I am not just, I am not righteous, I am not fair. He basically told him, he said, I have given you my name, and that name is enough. You have a name. Wow. Here we are, 4,000 years later, and we don't have to worry about saying Jehovah. We know who he is. There is a name that we've been given that is greater than any name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every, why do we go down and be buried in that name? We used to have bumper stickers. Some of y'all are too young to remember them. And we used to put them on our cars. People of the name. Why? Because we believe everywhere, in everything, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know I'm so glad I've been buried in the name of the Lord. And he goes through and he tells them, he says, you know what? Abraham was given a promise that he never received. He was even, he was told, leave where you are and go to a land that I will give you. And for all the rest of his life, he never got that promise. He never got that promise. Jesus, though, you know what he said? Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. He was looking ahead. He never got the promise. He never found that city whose foundation and builder and maker is God. He thought he had found it whenever he came to Salem, the city of peace, and Melchizedek was there who worshiped the mighty God, and he paid him tithes, but that he realized that was just a man. That wasn't, that wasn't, that's not the Messiah, and he kept living in a tent. Isaac lived in a tent. So Abraham had to go through and buy for an exorbitant price a place to bear a cave. He paid top dollar for the cave of Machpelah, whatever you call it, to bury his wife. He didn't have a place to bury the dead. And yet God had given him a promise, but he kept holding on to the promise. What does Hebrews say? Who against hope Abraham believed in hope. <laughs> Even when he couldn't find, 
even when there was no hope to be had, Abraham kept saying, I heard a voice. I know he's going to give me a promise. He's going to get ready. What are you talking about? Oh, God. He, you know, it, he watched as his son, you know, was born. And he go, you can go through all the tragedy of Abraham's life. And then poor old Isaac, he never got a place. He would dig a well and somebody would take his well. And he would dig another well and somebody would take that well. And he would dig another well. But you know what? He kept believing. God said it. God told my dad, I'm going to, I still am holding on to a promise. Deliverance, he's going to give us land. He's going to give us land. He's going to give us this place. Jacob lived in tents, no house. Bible tells the story of another exorbitant price that Jacob was charged just to buy a little place to put his tent on. It was like leasing the property. He couldn't even own it. And yet God promised and he went to Egypt as a sojourner But what God told Moses was, let me tell you something, Moses. You've been here sojourning for 400 years, and I'm fixing to deliver you. And I'm bringing you back to the land of Canaan as a nation. I've told you that promise, and now the only thing I'm going to give you is a name that I've never given to anyone else. The name I am will hold you. And yet, it's not going to be long and they're going to be given the law and told not to speak the name for fear of blaspheming it. And here we stand in 2023. I have a name and when Jesus looked at the crowds and said I am the good shepherd he was saying the name of God that Moses had when he said I am the way I am the truth I am the light I am the door I am I am and it was so powerful that whenever the soldiers came to take him the night before he was crucified he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he simply said, I am he. That name alone has more power than any addiction, than any sickness, than any cancer, than any heart issue. I know a name that is going to bring deliverance. I know a name. Why do you think we pray for people in Jesus' name? Is because I'm invoking the name that is greater. Every knee shall bow. Every principality, every tongue shall confess. I know who Jesus is. And if the enemy can demoralize us, and make us think 
we got it rough, we'll focus more on what we're going through than on who he is. When you read fast forward, you know what the Lord did? He let these ragtag people, the Bible say, says, line up like soldiers. They didn't have swords and they didn't have shields and spears, but they had a name. And like an army, they marched out of Egypt, deliverance right through the Red Sea. What are you talking about? I'm talking about, I still believe that 